Welcome to the Make Tech Human podcast presented by Wired and enabled by Nokia. I'm your host, Matt Myra. Make Tech Human is the year-long exploration of where technology is headed and how it is impacting humanity. It's a multi-platform program with stories, interviews, videos, and podcasts. Where can you find all that stuff? Well, you can check it out at wired.com forward slash make tech human. What's our goal with the podcast, you ask? Well, I'll tell you. It's to host a series of discussions and debates that will impact global debate, human behavior, and even product development and policymaking. So, all I ask is that when you've finished listening to the podcast, go out and develop a product or make some policy. Please. Uh, we're going to call today's episode our Back to School podcast, even though it's not titled that. I'm just calling it that. Because we're talking about the skills of the future. The skills the kids today are going to have to have to work in the future. And hopefully this will help you figure out what it is you need to learn in order to prevent the robot apocalypse that's surely coming. Uh, guys, here's how important this conversation is. I flew 6,000 miles to Finland to have this conversation. Why Finland, you ask? Well, Finland is one of the most technologically advanced countries in the world. It is second only to South Korea in digital data consumed per capita. And they don't even play StarCraft in Finland. I bet they do. Somebody must. It has one of the best education systems in the world and it produces the greatest number of scientific and engineering researchers per capita. How do I know that? They won't shut up about it. It's actually a, a really great place. The people are super laid back and they will talk to you ad nauseum only if you ask them questions. Otherwise, they're super quiet. Uh, and I, was ha I happen to be there when there's 19 and a half hours of sunlight. So if you've never been somewhere like that, uh, imagine two full days in the span of one day and then it's really boring some of the time so that's like three days every day pretty pretty crazy uh joining us in today's discussion we have Verti Lukander. remember to roll the r's roll and i'm um, at nokia networks innovation um lead there um my title is head of technology exploration and disruption Johanny, I'm a COO at a tech startup called Walt. Uh, I'm also, I have a background, I've written a book in, in Finnish called Code 2016. That's about, you know, how to, what is programming? How do you teach programming at elementary school and how it changes the world? And that's like a really, really basic, uh, you know, guide for, you know, every man about programming. I'm Pia Henrietta. Uh, I run a startup called mehackit.org that teaches robotics and programming to youth. And I'm an alumni of Singularity University. And of course, that other voice you're hearing is Melanie Cornwell of Wired, who was kind enough to join us in the discussion. This episode we recorded in Pori, Finland, uh, in a converted warehouse that was almost finished being converted. In that, I mean, it was kind of a warehouse. It was four walls, some echo, and uh, four chairs. So bear with us on the sound, and uh, let's jump right in to the skills of the future. And I thought as good a place as any to start when you're discussing the skills of the future was the curriculum in, in schools and what we're going to need to learn. So we're going to jump right into that, pick it up me in that fun warehouse building. 
I feel like the curriculum is going to need a basic understanding of code at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The big, the big thing is, uh, I'm not saying that you know everyone should you know know how to program. Everyone should like be really fluent in coding. This, the difference, like a good example that we use is that the English language here in Finland, like 100 years back, you didn't need to know English. You know, some people knew it a bit, and then if you went abroad, you could you know talk in English. But uh, these days, it's kind of necessary that you can understand some English and you can you can speak English and and I think that it's a bit the same with, with with programming that you don't need to be like a actual programmer but if you look at elementary school we teach kids how evolution works or, or how plate tectonics work or something like that and uh, it's important that because the world is more and more built on, on technology and technology these days means computers and computers uh, people telling computers what to do so you kind of need to get, have a basic understanding of what's what's going on under the hood and uh, and just just to so you can understand how how the internet works or how how how, uh, how your car works or how your washing machine yeah. works they all have a computer inside them these days so just a basic understanding of programming helps you helps you understand what's happening around you so a key let's 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 each what is it what do you think a key skill of the of future technology like what do you think a key skill someone who's entering the workforce needs to have to work with you well I, if, if entering the workforce I would say that programming would be great but but I mean then again there's there's quite a lot of programmers in in the world that mm-hmm. I can recruit I can you know have uh, them contract uh, for me so so subcontracting and and kind of the sort of basic uh, programming can can be bought what what I'm looking in my um, little bit more senior folks is that they actually understand something about the wider world and they have a, a perspective to the, let's say, end user uh, needs and, and sort of use cases that what are we doing here that um, if we eventually want to sell something, we, we have to have a, a sort of a, a more of an entrepreneurial kind of uh, approach and, yeah. and that's not something that everybody has uh, as natural and it's, it's also something that not everybody learns. So I think those, if you fi- find such a person, um, then you can have the program written by somebody else and and, and, yeah. and and that's the area I'm most interested in at the moment. So a well-rounded sort of individual that doesn't just... Yeah, yeah, and, and sort of um, basic, uh, or more than basic skills in, in uh, let's say, uh, business development, mm-hmm. marketing kind of thinking that if I build this fancy thing, people might not come. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, Henry, how, you, how do you feel? Like, what do you think a key skill of... Well, Google pinpoints people nowadays as T-shaped people, what they're looking for. So they have one very deep knowledge of one subject, but they have a broad understanding of many subjects on top of that. And that that could be something that could be useful. But I also see, like, we're just talking in the other room that there's a sort of basket, picnic basket you need with you, and it has all kinds of skills in there. And nobody really knows what those skills are going to be, what we're going to need, because the future is not ready. The young people and all of us need to build the future. Like, all the time we're influencing everything we do today influences tomorrow or even the next moment. So us as a humanity, we're shaping future all the time. And to go into that unknown future, which is not ready, which needs to be built, you need to have a whole bunch of different skills and everybody needs different skills. There's no one skill that fits all. Right. Because that would not be useful if we all had the same skill set. Yeah. 
and so I think like it's really like really good at sewing. Yeah, we'd all just be sewing. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's like a bit of a bit of creativity, a bit of problem solving, a bit of testing, a bit of analysis, a bit of like criticalness towards information that you get, a bit of like uh, self teaching or something yeah. you know there's there's a bunch of different stuff and i don't know what all of those things are but i think we should like be versatile yeah um there is saying in in the everyone knows in the startup scene that's a you should fail fast that means that you know you should instead of theorizing for six months you just, just try a bunch of things and you know you see what works and what fails and you will learn a lot more in six months than you, if you just you know made right. a theory so basically what i'm looking for in people that i want to hire for example or, or i think is the skill of the future is to the faster you are at failing the better you are if you have an assumption about something you know do, do we need this feature you know you have to be amazingly quick at you know finding out is that something you need you can you can you know call your friends and ask would you use this feature or you can uh, yeah. you can google other companies who've done the same did they succeed or not if you have don't have any idea then you can just you know make a google form and put it on the facebook and ask people would you use it or something like that you can use technology you can use social skills but just fail very fast <laughs> yeah, just as long as you're doing it quickly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because after a bunch of failures, you find something that will succeed, and then failing fast becomes succeed almost as fast as you fail. So, or playing after. a lot, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you have a fail-safe environment, so you need mm -hmm. to fail fast and fail safe. Yeah. <laughs> Says yeah. the man whose job that's, is disruption. That's what, I, what <laughs> I'm trying to say to my team. But I, I think this um, sort of you have to be brave. Yeah. to admit the failure so, so it's also internally that you you admit that okay I tried this and it, it failed and now I move on so kind of honest and brave yeah and the leaders need to not be punitive right for the, like the employees need to feel like it's safe to fail yeah. and that you know they might even be rewarded for it but not fired demoted etc exactly yeah yeah the the most successful Finnish startup of, of the recent couple of years is called is called Supercell and they're famous for celebrating failure. They they drink sparkling wine whenever one of their games Champagne. Is, 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 killed, <laughs> is killed. So yeah. And beer when one is successful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good culture out here. I really yeah. enjoy that. Uh, so to the I mean to the point of you know, where everything is sort of uh, moving towards a more you know, especially in the field that you guys are, you guys are in in the tech field. So every you're looking for a well-rounded person. You're looking for a person who's who's willing to take chances, who's who's gonna fail quickly, uh, who's gonna also be able to uh, see what the needs of other people it might be. Not necessarily a person in your field, but also you want to see that someone knows the needs of people outside the field, the consumer, or be it the company if you're uh, dealing with Nokia level stuff. You want to be able to find someone who's going to be able to recognize those needs outside of themselves. Uh, do you think that the curriculum, what do you think needs to happen in the curriculum in schools sort of to make kids sort of be aware that, hey, it's okay to fail? Because in America, we're very big on standardized <laughs> testing and, you know, don't mess it up. If you mess it up, you're screwed. And then the school. You can have some stuff, you have, you have kids do stuff where they actually see that the team that failed more uh, had better success. One example is um, that you make kids do a tower out of, of, of uh, raw spaghetti and marshmallows. 
you can use only like more spaghetti and marshmallows and you can build a tower and then you have like three teams or let's say four teams and the other two spend 15 minutes making a plan what kind of tower they will make and then right. five minutes implementing the tower and the other team has 20 minutes just to you know try stuff out and uh, you know fail 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 and then have something that works and you will always see that the team that you know have goes through the failures will get a better tower than the one that spends 15 minutes planning yeah. first yeah that's something you know do that kind of stuff in school and teach kids from early on that failing is good I, I love yeah, that. I, I think kids love to learn as it's interchange but somehow the you know, years in school kind of for some can can some somehow stop that and, and inhibit them to, you know, go forward. And I, I think the I mean I, I don't believe that kids will learn only by themselves, so teachers are needed, but teachers should be um, looking into the motivation and the passion of, of the kids and, and, and trying to be as individualistic as possible. I, I know this costs money, but I mean this is somewhat uh, I think the Finnish school system is better in that than the US school system, but, but there could be much more in that. I was going to ask, is there the same obsession with STEM education here as in the US? We're constantly talking about the need for science, technology, engineering, and math um, students you know, studying this and becoming expert in them. Well, I mean, across the EU, there's this uh, uh, sort of coding frenzy where everybody wants every child to have, you know, played for two hours on some, or one hour of code or whatever. And that's kind of like saying, everybody go and play the piano for one hour and then you're pianists. And that's not true because like any skill, if you want to be really, really good, it takes tens of thousands of hours of practice. But uh, there's maybe, there's a lot of talk about coding, but not that much maybe of the science areas, I would say, at least in Finland. Yeah, I'm not actually, I'm not familiar about the level of obsession in the US. Uh, I cannot compare actually, but I would say that the coding is right now the thing. Yeah. Uh, but you know, the, I think Andrea had a, had a nice example about the piano and when I go and talk about coding, people ask me how hard is it to, to learn to code? And I tell them, you know, how hard is it to learn to write? Anyone can write, you know, their name, maybe a sentence. Then you know maybe a small like story, but it's when you have to write a book, it's like really, really hard. And if you have have to write a good good book, it takes a lifetime yeah. to you know win the Nobel Prize. So it's kind of the same with programming. You know you can learn to write like a small program, but to be really good with that, it takes a lot of practice. It a lot of you know you have to have an idea and a mentality, and uh, you you have to study from different points of view and just keep doing and practicing, and you're never ready with writing or coding. I think it comes back to those skills that we were talking about. That what's needed and now like a lot of the like conversation isn't about what's best for the children and our future it's like we need 900,000 jobs to be filled and that's like 900,000 mediocre programmers are not going to fill that you know you need exceptional people who are ready to really work hard and those are the people w- that will lead the innovation it doesn't matter what skills you have but if you're not ready to like th- throw yourself in the game and work hard, nothing's going to come out of it. And you need all kinds of different kinds of people. And, and the little I, I was able to learn from the US school system was that you can totally avoid all of these STEM topics. Whole of your high school, you, you don't have to touch them at all, if, if I understood correctly. This, yeah. this we don't have in Finland. So you, there is, you get some exposure to, to these science topics. What, no, no matter what you really... There isn't a lot of a lot of American high schools, the elective. 
Mm-hmm. So you can elect to take, if you need to, if you feel like it, take three English classes, mm-hmm. skip a math class, yeah. take four, uh, you know, history classes, dump a science class. There is that sort of... No, I, I don't think that's wise for America. But, yeah. but actually, engineering in Finland is very separated from the other ones because you learn about biology, you learn about like math and everything in high mm-hmm. school, but then the sort of vocational school focuses a lot on engineering and that part, that like sort of very technical part isn't that much in the high school. It's more like academic yeah. sort of uh, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. theory. I just have to mention one point that, you know, Henrietta just told us about, you know, having 900,000 media coders, and that's exactly what we don't want. And what, what people who don't understand coding are kind of missing is uh, if you have someone, you know, who's, um, how do you say, like you use a shovel and you make a ditch. Yeah, uh, digging a ditch. Yeah, digging a ditch, exactly. If you have 1,000 people digging a ditch who are mediocre, and you have like one person who's like the best in the world, yeah. the 1,000 people can make still, you know, hundreds of times more in, in like one day than the one who's best. But with coding, you can have 1,000 mediocre programmers, and in, in, in one week, they cannot solve a problem as well as the guy who is the best in the world in it. Right. And and that's the that's the problem with, with uh, you know, muscle work and, and, and work with involves, you know, uh, you know brain, brain, and that's really, is something that we need to talk and think about when we push coding in the schools and this is from someone who is pushing coding in the school yeah we we also when we teach like uh the basics of electronics and robotics with arduinos and and some programming in schools it's kind of like i feel that the startup and and entrepreneurship and technology world is very gatekept to people who are in universities or who are like come from a certain background end up in certain like friends uh, spheres and then like you slip on a banana and then you're in tech <laughs> and it's it's like something that shouldn't be so gatekept it should be more open to people and already in a younger age so hey i kind of like this electronic stuff seeing under the hood what's happening mm. where can i learn more and this sort of like opportunity given to everyone is a completely different chance and it democratizes tech so much more than if it's just for a certain group whose parents are already pushing them towards technology yeah. i was going to say in in the us we're actually pretty good at that because we have a really strong maker culture and mm-hmm. maker fairs yeah. do you have those here and yeah. where you know, really attracts people who are not necessarily, who don't think of themselves as technologists, they mm-hmm. think, and especially with kids and things like that, so. Um, but I was going to say is that Finland is known as having one of the best educational systems in the world, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We I are mean, known for I it, so let's not go with it. Yes, yes. So, so known for it. Uh, yeah. They don't believe it. Um, There's a lot to get better. <laughs> but you also, kids here also go to school, I think, less than other, almost yeah. anywhere in the world, but end up more educated. Yeah, I think the key is that we start later, because, you know, in Japan they start at three, and in US at five, and, but in Finland it's, it starts at seven when, people, when kids are much more ready to learn things that they need to learn in the school. So I think the well, my experience is that the, you know three to five, three to six year old is better out of the school 
it, mm. it doesn't help long term if 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 he or she is in the school. And actually, the first year of school here is kind of like learning how how are you supposed to deal with other people around you mm. and like yeah. that everybody can talk at the same time. You can't hit everyone around you, and yeah, yeah. like basic stuff. Yeah. And then you get into like the learning sort of. And I think one good thing that we have is we give a lot of freedom for the teachers. Right? And let's say I would you know try to teach Matt something here, and when I'm explaining the stuff to you, I can see he's from un- your... he's unteachable. <laughs> yeah. But I can see from your eyes like all the time I'm explaining something I can see when you're kind of understanding and when you when you don't understand then I can tell it to you again and it would be hopeless to try to teach something to someone when you have like that you don't see what they're what's going on with them and in Finland we give a lot of freedom for the teachers to kind of have their way with what's best for that classroom for that group of 20 people and that's something that I think it's pretty comparable to just teaching something to one person that you can adapt a lot to that, those those people and make them learn the best way that you can come up with. And I think it's not accredited enough to those teachers because they're really like those are motivated, hardworking people who have like dedicated their life to that, and they always see these these children go on their life path. Sometimes they're with the kids for like five years maybe or more, mm-hmm. and they see how they develop and everything, and so they're really like leading them on their way and that's something that's not given enough credit wait so how does you you could be with a teacher for five years Uh, like in elementary school sometimes yeah depends how it goes but the teachers might take a class and stay with them for like three years or something yeah even six years is not not unheard of yeah that's we are in and out Yeah. <laughs> one teacher, one school year, done. We go on to the next one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have, yeah. It's it's very typical to have. Yeah, yeah. And they see that. I, my my friend, my good friend, is a teacher, and he's kind of right now. He's really, um, you know, bummed out because he just had to kind of leave this class Aww. that he had been with for four years, and you know, and uh, yeah. Wow. So I want to know where the where the kids between zero and seven do most Finnish families in the forest have a, with wolves have a parent do most Finnish families have a parent who stays home because a lot of the earlier education yeah. in the U.S. is driven by two parents yeah, but working. Yeah, but we have separated daycare and schools. So, okay. so there's daycare obviously, yeah. and, and you yeah. know most okay. uh, women work and so on. So it's not like you know okay. stay home moms, but it's it's. it's Or stay home dads as they, well. They care They're different, and that, so that's the difference in in US that you, you you don't get your kids into any decent daycare. We have a you know socialistic system almost that everybody's um, yeah. um, you know entitled to have a have a daycare uh, position. You're blowing some, my mind right now. Sometimes <laughs> there's like the daycare is organized so that there's one. A uh, woman, like or or a man, who decides to stay at home with their own child, and they take care of like five or six other children oh, on the wow. same time. So that's like home daycare. So especially in smaller regions, like yeah. wow, that's, that's that's so fascinating. The whole idea, even of just staying with a teacher for that long, is blowing But my mind. There is common sense. <laughs> no, it just seems like that there, might be the way to do it, you guys. But there is also there is a good maternity leave, and Finnish are generally like the the policies here, like for parental leave. Yeah. So it's not anymore only moms; it's dads and everybody, and it's it's really healthy that so you're allowed to do stay. Do you know how long? How long would it be for maternity a year? leave? Holy little, crap! Little less. I think you can. Yeah, you can be longer, but then you 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 like, yeah, like, but then like, you get like less eight, nine, yeah. paid, so and you get paid the for that. Starting point, yeah. but then you can extend it to three years, and yeah. then you get some some you know reduction in the. Um, you are lucky in the United States yeah. to get to like get six, six weeks. Yeah. Six You're six lucky weeks. to get six weeks. Yeah. Really? And yeah. all of this three years is paid. 
Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, except for us, you can take up to three months, and they have to guarantee your job, but only six weeks of that is paid. So mm-hmm. a lot of people can't afford to even take that. But Finland has always been a small country, and I think this is also motivated a lot from the perspective that also, you know, um, women should work, kind of. Yeah. That in in US you in in a way. Especially in Japan, you kind of leave half of the workforce um, off yeah. from the, you know, working life, which which is in a way uh, a lot of waste of innovation and, and uh, you know, workforce in general. So I think this is where it started from that Finland, as a small country, was was able to go into this direction. You guys, I really, there's so many social ideas that I see happening in in <laughs> Finland that I just like. As an American, just it's like, oh, well, obviously that's how you're supposed to do it. Why aren't we doing that? But then everyone over there is like, nope, we're fine. This is how we do it in America. Uh, well, they, have, they have human-centered design. We have profit-centered. Yeah, design, right? yeah, we're very profitable over there. I don't know if you've heard of Apple. We're very profitable. Uh, When's the dollar going to crash? <laughs> Soon. <laughs> Buckle up, everybody. Uh, so, I mean, that's going back to the whole sort of skills and 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 uh, and the and, and the original sort of topic of the discussion of 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 people in the workplace, and and you guys are all in leadership positions. Uh, how do you encourage? Now we've talked about skills. Let's talk about creativity. How do we encourage creativity in your workforce? Like, how what what is a what is one way you like to think of Bertie staring at me like I'm meh? Well, I don't know. I mean, somebody said yesterday that, uh, you know, people are most creative at from, you know, age of three to age of five when they, uh-huh. they have no, they know about things a little bit and they have absolutely no, no bounds. They, they, they are not discouraged by anything uh-huh. they can try out there. So I'm trying to do that with you know 50-year-olds. It's, <laughs> it's not obvious how, how do you find that skill from you. But, uh, I mean, creativity is 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 something that you you can learn a little bit, but it's it's not something that everybody at the age of 40 or 50 can more kind of find from himself. So what I'm trying to do is, of course, recruit young people um, mm-hmm. and, and and go. You know, I, I have a team in, in Silicon Valley which which has quite a different mindset and, and age profile than my my team here yeah. in Helsinki. So, trying to kind of uh, combine uh, people with different experiences is, is what I'm trying to do. I would like to do more, but I can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking uh, the best one of the best ways to to promote creativity is is give people limits. You know, limits are the best thing you can do to creative. If I was to tell you that you need to come up with a story right now, mm-hmm. it would be kind of Okay, where do I start? But if I told you that you know you have to come up with a story that starts with a girl um, lying in the rain and there is a dog sniffing at her shoes, then you would you know I gave you some yeah. limits and you will come up with a better story. So with, in a workplace, you know, instead of you know how can we get customers, you can tell your people that okay, give me ten ways that we can get customers that all starts with the letter K, and people will you know immediately start like, really creative stuff will come up and and that will you know. So you're saying in your boundaries can help creativity. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's that's something I notice as well, yeah. but 
uh, something I just read, I can't remember whose study it was, but it said that adults need to play as well. Like it was a psychologist, I think, and adults really need to play. And if they don't get to play, they start drinking. <laughs> and, and that's that's like the goofing around and the playing that we need. Enough. We need. And and I don't know. We had a swing at our office, and we try to do fun stuff and have a lot of crayons and markers around and and post-its. But uh, yeah, I think. I think it's like a certain amount of sort of not working at all is very needed. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like a scientific fact that limits and goals promote creativity. If you if you tell people that you know this is a paperclip and you have to come up with as many uses for it as you can ever come up with, then the average use you know use case is around like 45 or something. But then if you tell people this is a paperclip and you need to come up with 100 uses for it, then Basically, everyone will come up with 100 uses if, they, yeah. if you give them like an hour or something. So, it's it's really interesting. That is, yeah, that is fascinating. Think about limits really opening up your own creativity. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of counterintuitive, but intuitive. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. And that does it for the Make Tech Human podcast on the skills of the future. I guess what I was most surprised by in that discussion was how much of an emphasis everybody placed on creativity uh sure there's like the feeling that we're all gonna have to at some point learn how to write our own code to build applications for things that skill is only going to be helped along by the encouragement of creativity uh thank you all for listening to the make tech human podcast presented by wired and enabled by nokia this podcast is part of a broader nokia and wired make tech human debate about the possibilities challenges and tensions at the nexus of humanity and technology. If you want more information on this, you can go to our website. It's wired.com forward slash make tech human. And in two weeks, we'll be back with a brand new episode featuring Rodney Brooks, Sir Martin Reese, and Stuart Russell. And they are going to be debating the promise and peril of artificial intelligence. And give us a reality check on some of the fear-mongering headlines we've heard about AI this year i.e. all the things I dream about. And by dream, I mean have terrible nightmares about. Uh, it's actually it's going to be a pretty fun discussion in that I didn't have to really say a word. I just let these three super smart guys debate on their own. What you can do is join the conversation on Twitter using the hashtag MakeTechHuman. And if you need to tag me in that, I'm at Matt Myra, M-I-R-A, Spelled like Mira, pronounced like Myra. I don't know why, that's just the way it is. <laughs>